0: The following episode contains strong language and some hearty auntie chats, so maybe don't listen if you've got Tamariki around. Unprecedented times. It's a phrase you've probably heard a lot lately. I think of the climate crisis, a wealth gap that just keeps growing. And you might have heard we're now also in the middle of a pandemic. It's a lot, and it's in our faces all the time. It can be really overwhelming. That's how I was feeling when I started thinking about this season of He no Ahau, Exhausted and increasingly hopeless. But I don't want to feel hopeless. I want to stay invested, to keep fighting, to stay tūturu to the kopapa. I've realised that what I need is room to dream and scheme again. About the world that I want for myself, my fano and my mokopuna. What I need is hope. May we boundlessly dream of possibilities beyond our wildest imaginations. I dream of a world where we can be our fluid selves. May we weave communities of support, compassion and active solidarity. I dream of a world where we can come together. With our histories in front of us and our tupuna at our shoulders, may we walk into a future that is connected and thriving for all. I dream of a world where Māori people have got our land back.
1: Where takatāpui can be free. Where indigenous knowledge is recognised
2: as we heal te taiao we naturally heal ourselves
0: my name is kahukutia and this is Nuaho season 2 piki mai kakemai there's a very real grief that i feel sometimes when i think of all the things that were impacted by colonization the ways our land and our language were taken from us the ways our knowledge and our tikanga were buried I'm so grateful for the blood, sweat and tears of our Ko-Matsua and pakeke, all the ways they've worked to ensure that what we do still have today is protected. Because it means that those of us who are mokopuna of the Māori Renaissance can put our energy into uplifting the knowledge that did survive, doing so in a way that makes sense for us today. One part of the revival that I find really interesting, and so cool, is Taungapurōro. We're spending this episode in Te Whanganui a Tara. I'm pretty stoked to be here, I've just left here and moved to Rotorua. And I've been really missing my city. Kia ora! Oh, she's ora, kōrua, Kia ora! Kia ora. One of my favourite things about being here is our Wally creative whānau. Today, we get to catch up with a few of them and have some pretty typical yarns. I need a I need a sexy portal ASMR account. Oh my gosh. I just want Māori ASMR. My OnlyFans! Yeah, do it. First up, let's meet... Kali Materua. She's a Hati Nazi from Reporua on the East Coast, and she was lucky enough to grow up immersed in Kohanga in in Kurakaupapa with a good grounding in Te Ao Māori. Mm. Yeah, I
2: think colonisation is a B word. So it means that a lot of our Kaurero have been mixed up or lost or misinterpreted or reinterpreted in a way that decenters our Atua Wahine. There's no way <laughs> that you can tell me a story like Tehue and how she swallowed the biggest storm and like not have her sit as a very integral part of that kōrero.
0: Carly's a Thong puoro player, along with her bandmate Ruby Solly, <coughs> who's here too. <tea. laughs> Ruby's giving big auntie vibes today with her outfit and big glasses.
3: I've got them on because I've got this fucking sty on my eye and it's so massive and it looks like someone punched me in the face. Have you put mummy on it? I don't know. <laughs> nah, probably won't, but only for trauma reasons, like I'm sure it works.
0: Ruby's kai tahu and a super talented poet and <laughs> musician.
3: Um, you can tell I'm the nerdy one in the copa <laughs> straight away, it's <laughs> like <naughty> nerd. Um, <laughs> Nazi nerd! Like kāti nerd,
0: really. <laughs> Yeah, that's really how a lot of our hangs go. Half-serious Māori revival and decol, and half-hyena cackle cry laughing. And, you know, balance is important. But eventually I decide we probably should get to the kaupapa. I'm here to talk about Tonga puoro, If you haven't heard or seen Tonga Puora before, they're pretty much Māori instruments. They can be made from all sorts of materials, but traditionally things like wood, bone, and stone. And these instruments were seen not just as musical instruments, but as tools of kind of superstition. They were really important for our people historically.
3: Because music was just integrated through all parts of life, so it would be used for ritual, would be used for healing, would be used for the passing down of pūrāko, which in fact can be a healing thing in itself, especially for things like mental distress.
0: Ruby knows this because she uses them in her mahi as a
3: music therapist. So we had things like, what's something I could show?
0: Ruby picks up the tangitangi tangi. It's made of clay and sits comfortably in the palm of her hand.
3: The breathing that you have to do to play is very similar to that, like really deep, tonguey that you that you do for funerals, or I often do like that little kid cry, like, <laughs> it's
1: that to go and to, kid. yeah, do it, like it's oh, that. <laughs> yeah.
3: So that was to get that, that crying started and, and get that out. And since a lot of our indigenous communication could be done in a non-verbal way, and these are kind of like a pre-deal in some ways, that would be a way to do that instead of looking at talk therapy, maybe for somebody who's not as up for talking as other people might be. In Te Māori, I can think of a lot of really beautiful, very quiet people where that would work far better Mm. than being like, what's wrong, do you want to talk about it, do you want Mm. to have a cry?
0: Ruby describes Thong or as like another deal, but maybe one that's a bit more accessible if you can't find the words in English or Te Reo Māori.
3: And as tangata to myself, like, I know that when you're unwell it's really hard to learn another language even when it is your first language once removed in a way mm-hmm. um, and you feel a deep sense of mamai and a deep sense of guilt at not being able to do it as easily as other people mm-hmm. but learning this is like learning another reo Māori mm-hmm. and that's something that people in that position can do that gives them that strength to move towards wellness
0: I love that taonga puoro can be more than just instruments. They are tools to our wairua tanga, our spirituality. It's also one of the reasons that they almost disappeared entirely.
3: Taonga puoro were banned as part of the Tohunga Suppression
0: Act. The 1907 Tohunga Suppression Act was one of the many ways that cultural erasure was actively written into our law. The bill made illegal a lot of our traditional healing practices, as well as the tools of that practice. The way Ruby puts it, the original intentions of the bill weren't entirely bad. One of the purposes was actually to
3: protect Māori from people who were saying that they were tohonga, who weren't actually tohonga. And that was putting some people in danger, especially with modern illnesses that were coming to New Zealand at that time, Mm. from Pākehā and Tāuaue immigrants.
0: But they were still mostly Yeah, pretty bad.
3: It really was to suppress our culture and all the visible parts that were kind of above water. um,
0: Ruby's talking about Edward T. Hall's cultural iceberg model, which suggests that about 10% of a culture is above water, is visible. That's things like what we wear, the songs we sing, the language we speak... Most of the culture, though, sits under the surface, underwater, and it's less visible to outsiders. For us, that's things like how we relate to each other or to the whenua.
3: So all the stuff that was really obvious, they could get rid of through this one act, really.
0: Let's leave Newtown now and head over to the leafy heights of Karori. I'm off to find Ariana Tikal. She's a singer, composer and super brainy knowledge holder from Kaitahu as well. As if that wasn't enough, she's also a 2020 arts laureate who's been working in the music space for a really long time.
1: <laughs>
0: I've come to see Ariana because I know that at some point we got a lot of our knowledge about puoro back and I think she might be the person who can tell me about it. So here's what we know. In the mid-80s there was a series of hui to recall any information related to Tonga Pur. There were a lot of people there, but some of the names you might be familiar with are Naitu Hui musician and composer Hidney Melbourne, teacher and jazz musician Richard Nuns, and Nelson carver and instrument maker Brian Flintoff. This group called themselves Homanu. It was a name chosen by Brian to mean the breath of the birds. But when he shared the name with the rest of the group Henny
4: just kind of smiled <laughs> and because he knew that there was this other meaning behind it as
0: well. Homanu also means revival. So after one of those hui, this passionate group, Homanu, set off on a journey with support from Komatua across the country. Yeah, they would get
4: together in Wānanga and go out to Marae and go and talk to um, elders, uh, or kaimātua at the time, um, and they would gather up stories. So it was a really kind of flax (laughs) roots-based movement, I guess, and each little kōrero uh, became kind of a a thread that brought this whāreki back.
0: So at that point, when they were going out and collecting all these stories, was there pretty much nothing known about Puro? I mean, not really in the
4: mainstream. Um, so, yeah, there was only little snippets and no memories of sound, but also um, sometimes it might have been, you know, somebody had heard about the sound of an instrument or, yeah, it wasn't intact. In
0: tradition, I suppose, at that time. That's how we get musicians like Ariana, Ruby and Kali today, because of those first adventurers who travelled the country, heading to as many marae as they could, painstakingly piecing together all these little scraps of information, memories and unearthed Tonga from dusty cupboards. It's a pretty remarkable story, really. I find it quite interesting that it was both Pākehā and Māori
4: involved. We have these allies that, that have supported the Tonga to, to come back. And so, yeah, that's it's because of them, you know, dedicating decades of their lives that we are in the position that
0: we're in now. These days, Ariana, Ruby and Kali all perform together along with a fourth member, Te Kahurere Moa Taumata, in an all-wahine Tonga collective called Mai Anginui. It's really significant that they are all wahine, because wahine have always been part of the world of Tonga Puro. but I think that's something that history's forgotten. One of the effects of
4: colonisation, I think, has been the restructuring of our society in terms of the role of wahine. And um, so, yeah, some people... Kind of have a misconception that women don't play. I've had some people having issues with me playing pukaya and stuff like that, and I think that's because of the English translation of um, war trumpet. (laughs) Even yeah, in our traditions, you know, wahine were warriors anyway and fought. So yeah, there's a lot of working through and and undoing of those misconceptions that are put in our way, especially for Wahine Māori. And so, yeah, we're trying to regain a balance now so that Wahine can see ourselves in this space. And so, yeah, there's a good emphasis on um, making sure that wahine know that that this is um, a space that we were involved in traditionally, but also are definitely involved in now. Rather than taking away from the tani and the movement of Tonga Poro, that the wahine coming forward now are kind of coming up to just take our natural place alongside them.
0: Back to Newtown now, where Kali and Ruby have laid a table in front of us with a whole bunch of Tonga. I'm feeling like a kid in a candy store looking at all of these beautiful instruments. Some of them are super beautifully carved in wood and bone. Some are colourful and bound with string and feathers. Some are actually really simple. A couple of river stones, long thin bones and sticks, a simple wooden tube. Most of these are really familiar to Kali. Tonga puoro have been part of her life since high school. Instead of like a lunch bell, we had a putatara. Mm. Kali went to St Joseph's Māori Girls' School in the Hawke's Bay. That's one of a number of kura that deliver education under the kaupapa known as Teaho Matua.
2: That was how you, you know, knew you were the cool kid if you could go and play the putatara, because not everybody could get a real good voice on it. And I was good at it, so I loved it. Mm.
0: and Ruby Solly played Kuowo in primary school. I think it's amazing that in the space of about 30 years, these taonga have gone from being half buried and just remembered to being placed in the hands of tamariki all over Aotearoa. I asked Kali and Ruby if they'd show me a couple of their taonga.
3: This one's a Pumotomoto, which Pumoto-moto. is the same name for the. Fontanao. This one's actually especially cool for you because it's from a tuhui cordillo. Yeah yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> I love it when people do iwi shout-outs. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: it's
3: one of my favourite yeah, yeah, yeah. things. <laughs> um, little iwi shout-out. And so, um, that cordillo is that this was played into the pumotemotu, the Fontanau, but it was also played, um, over the mother when she was pregnant as well. Oh. Mm. And so mm-hmm. it's a very subtle instrument. Um. For that reason, like you wouldn't want to be playing drum and bass to a newborn baby. But, um, and then once the baby was born, since I've been used to hearing it in utero, they'd kind of calmed down when they heard that instrument. Ko tamariki o so this is my tiny little baby one. Mm. This is a kuowo pongaehu, so these kind of invoke um, the song of peace that was pushed out of Heniputihue or um after the the big battle. Um, so they've got like a really soft, sweet song that people have to really kind of tune in to hear, which in itself helps people to calm down and be peaceful.
0: I know Kali has a lot of the purako that relate to taonga puoro. Should I get my pūtorino? Yeah. She agrees to share one with us.
2: So this is my version of the story of Raukatauri. So it's got all of my 11 herbs and spices. Um, <laughs> Your secret recipe. My, like, yeah, disclaimer. <laughs> I imagine Raukatauri at the beginning, i the oro ko when Rangi and Papa first split. Tani took his daughter Raukatauri, to the heart of the Ngahere, to the forest, where she could be safe and rest. She was the first of the living creatures to live in the Ngahire that was not tethered to papa. And so she'd use the winds and fly up above the tree canopies and keep all of the tōtara and Cody entertained. Until... One night, when the big storm hit... ...and she wrapped herself amongst the puiriri trees and stayed there until... The storm passed. From her wings came the Whare Ahuru, her putorin. And as she lived in this Whare Ahuru, she would often crawl to the top at the waha of her whare, gazing at Hina and sing away. And Hina would sing back to her with twinkling light and that would go back and forth between them throughout the phases. song that Raukataori would sing to Hina was one night heard on the winds by Pepepe. And so Pepepe followed this sound all the way back to Raukataori's Fareahuru. And he would sing back to her. And so, they fell in love, I suppose, is the way to put it. Raukatauri invited Pepepe into her whare ahuru. But to sustain Raukatauri and her new uri, it was... Understood that Pepepe was to sacrifice himself, Ati Nana, to nourish his new whanau. And so when Doka Todi's udi were strong enough to move out into the world, they ate a little waharoa for them to crawl out of and onto the forest floor and Tauri sat at this new waha and would sing to her tamariki so they would remember to sing to Pepepe so they would remember to sing to Hina. kaputa kotepu torino.
0: In this episode, you might have noticed some pretty special music. It's actually from Ruby's album, Porneke. She calls it a love letter to our city, and in the album, Ruby's playing both tanga and cello, which she's classically trained in.
3: Like, I remember being a little motor girl in orchestras, playing cello Mm. and there's all these great photos of just like all of these pakea children and then there's this like one kid whose hair is like like this big scruffy (laughs) hair holding this little rental cello Mm. like kind of like it's like edward's scissor hands when you see like the scene and it's all of these like beautiful pastel people and then there's edward like and i look like edward I loved the music and I loved being there, but I remember that being such a hard space. But there were always things I always kind of have to kind of shave off the sides of myself to fit.
0: So Pōneke is really Ruby, owning that classical music space for herself, flipping it into something that makes sense within a te ao Māori context.
3: Because if you think about it, these are the original classical instruments of Aotearoa. Mm. This is the original classical music of Aotearoa. The original folk music of Aotearoa is Mm. Māori music. We often don't get to hold those spaces. We often, uh, we're we're manuhiri in our own spaces. But then to like hold that space until we kind of ahika within classical music and within Mm -hmm. jazz, not just for us, but for the people who kept these instruments alive Mm -hmm. and for the people
0: who will benefit from that after us.
3: So I was going out into places around Porniki and playing of piwudu, responding to those spaces and recording that. And then Mm -hmm. I'd go home and layer up cello to go with that. But the cello would have to match the of piwudu. It was never the other way around, which Mm -hmm. is often how it is in classical composition at the Mm -hmm. moment. And then also looking at piwudu responding to the environment, so putting the environment at the top of the process. Mm -hmm. I've always had kind of understanding that Music can come directly from the environment and that's something that's always been a big part of my life.
0: I know it can be quite intimidating to pick up these taonga and colonising whakaro would have us think that we're not even worthy of doing it in the first place. But where would our tipuna be if they hadn't jumped on the waka and come to find Old Aotearoa? Sometimes you've just got to dive in and give things a go. So
3: this one's probably a really nice one to learn on because it's um, quite dense. So you cover your fingers like that and then block off one nostril and mm-hmm. have that. And you kind of angle until you hit... Mm. the what point more? where it will sound. So it's kind of all about slow. Mm. It's a quite a slow learning process. Sometimes you give them to people and they're very like... Should even <laughs> I, I, I don't want go. Oh, it I my has... <laughs> Yeah.
2: Everybody has a different shape. Pongai hu
3: something that I love about working with these in a therapeutic way Mm. like one of the kind of things I've kind of found for when you're teaching someone to play is Mm. you just kind of okay you just kind of like ghost play underneath (laughs) you're like you're really good at that yeah That's that person's aura, And then you can kind of wrap yours Mm. Around them To kind of help them extend it out And give Mm. them the space to express And
0: improvise and Catch their breath breath. Mm. I'm just really getting that heart out Like protected by your auntie's vibe right now (laughs) Honestly, I was pretty nervous to come in today, but I'm sitting there and I'm feeling so protected and cared for and held. And as Carly puts it, you don't need flash taonga either. I think there's a misconception that you need this uh, beautiful carved something for it to be puoro,
2: but some of my favourite are like, you know, he Anga from the moana, you know, or uh, a stone or a piece of driftwood. Like, those are some of my most favourite puoro because they're everywhere. Go to Tatahi and, you know, Tangaroa will hook you up if you ask. Mm. It's where I found most of my koowau, you know, um, just bone pieces that you can then shape sand with a stone and ta-da, you have a puoro. Yeah, just kind of trying to demystify some of the weird Mm. things that people think about our traditions and our practices and rituals.
0: Another misconception about Puro is that they can only be used for mystical, spooky, mysterious reasons. It's actually okay to have fun with it.
4: All puro stories can be super sexy. They look like you can sexify them, Yeah, but... there's something about making eye contact <clears throat> while playing it.
2: <laughs> Holy. I don't I keep my eyes closed.
0: <laughs> yes, sexy puro. Ariana told me about this.
4: They were were used traditionally for kind of seduction and stuff as well, improving your, um, worth maybe, as a potential lover
1: or whatever, like.
0: Just like with other revivals, with Taungapuru there can be this tendency to be quite precious about the knowledge that we do have. That's entirely valid, that makes a lot of sense. This was almost lost, and of course we want to hold tight to it all. But I think it's also important that if a cultural practice is going to thrive, there's space for experimentation and growth. Our tūpuna
3: were always experimenting.
0: Ruby's got an example to show me. So this um,
3: is a double-hulled puto-reno. Um and we have like a couple of museum examples of this. And now because we have that one or two historical examples we have them as part of our instruments. But that would have just been a couple of people experimenting. Mm-hmm.
0: And as Ariana says, it's so important to know the whole story so we can understand what is growth and what is new.
4: Yeah, it's important to, to know, you know what is from the tradition and what is innovation. We've got this one here, which is a coup.
0: Ariana's coup looks a little bit like a bow and arrow. There are traditional coup out there, but this is not one of them. But it's got a guitar string on it, so, you know, obviously we
4: didn't have guitar strings back in the day, <laughs> but, um, you know, it just makes it a lot louder to play, because otherwise, yeah, Koo, a very personal sort of quiet instrument.
1: <laughs> <It's>
4: so cool. <laughs> The metal string, I find that the ki in summer can sound quite metallic, so I kind of like to to see that as being an innovation, but it also has kind of um, a resonance with our natural world as well that can sound in that
0: similar way. This is so exciting, seeing these wahine play puoro, reconnecting our people, finding new ways to articulate connection and belonging. It feels like I can see the potential of what Te Ao Māori could grow to be. Tonga puoro was a tradition that might have disappeared entirely, but with seeds planted by our kaumātua and cared for by players today, Maybe one day we will have this glorious ecosystem of puoro players once again.
4: One of my hopes for the future of taonga puoro is that it just becomes normal in Fano, Yeah, on the morai as well, um, within pōwhiri or uh, at tangi, just wherever we gather, um, that it's just a part of our everyday again, so... And I'm kind of hopeful that that's going to happen um, in the not-too-distant future. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm left thinking about all of the revivalists who really made this dream a reality today. The ones who kept the practice quietly alive, the ones who fought to bring it back, and the likes of these Wahine today. The revival we're experiencing did not occur by accident, but because of their dreams and ambitions. Like Ariana, I'm wondering what the future can hold for Pūro. If Pūro is another language that we have to speak, I'm thinking about all the kōrero that there is still to have. Coming up in the next episode of He Kākanoa aho, we're going to meet a few super cool artists working to reclaim and revitalise the knowledge of our tīpuna and doing it in cool new ways.
2: That show was not about me. That show was not for me. That show was for Indigenous queer people.
0: It's super empowering and funny and sexy and hot as We're going to leave you now with a poem by Wellington poet Azembri Aulani written especially for this episode of He Kākanoa
1: My bones shift my breath to parts that need it I breathe in, filling the space that sits protected on Mama's lap under Papa Tuanuku's chest. I breathe out, pulling Papa's fishing line, playing tug of war with Tangaroa. I wet my mouth to the edges of Heneroka Tori's cocoon. I swallow. The war calmed, dried by Hinepū te My bones moor this body, an anchor tied at a western harbour. Yet I notice the stagnant wood, loose teeth, misshapen stones, sheltering near my spine. And I wonder what it would sound like if my breath carried through it all.
0: Hikaka Kākanoa Hau was hosted, produced and co-written by me, Kahukūtia. Melody Thomas is the other co-writer and producer for the series. She also edited with the help of Kirsten Johnstone. Big Mahi to our production assistants, Tahida Mayo Nahi, Briar Pormana, and India Logan Riley, Rebecca Parangi. Our accounts manager is Alison Pierce. Our real advisor is Jamie Tehuya Cowell. Mark Chesterman is the series engineer. And Ursula Grace and Francis Morton are the executive producers. Music for the series created by Ruby Soli, Ma and Ranui Maas. And our cover art is by Huriana Kopeke Teaho. So many thank yous to our poets and creatives Ranui Maas, Azembri Aulani, Marati Kay, Taranaki Young Grace, Trinity Thompson Brown, and Sinead Overby. Big mihi to the folks at RNZ Megan Whelan, Shannon Honui Thompson, Justine Murray, and Tim Burnell. This podcast was made with the support of RNZ and New Zealand On Air. The final big thank you is to all of our kai kōrero who shared their thoughts, hopes and dreams for this season of He We are so grateful. This kaupapa is for generations of Indigenous babies to come. May you be grounded, may you be hopeful, may you always be able to find your way home. Arohanui.